Welcome or welcome back to Lift You Up Inspiring Health Stories. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham. I'm the founder and chief storyteller of TV Media Group. But for the purpose of this podcast, I am your health and happiness matchmaker. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, you know what I'm going to ask you to do. Hit subscribe on YouTube and connect with me on LinkedIn if you haven't already done so. I'd love to stay connected with you. Well, it's that time of year. It's end of 2020. Deep sigh. We made it. But that doesn't mean we still don't have fears and anxieties when it comes to 2021. Today, I'm talking to a psychiatrist. Her name is Dr. Delvena Thomas, and she's walking us through how we can prepare ourselves to deal with anxiety and also how to eat better foods for our brain health. Our physical, mental, and emotional health is not just a want. It is a need for happy lives and prosperous businesses. Lift You Up is the podcast where we share inspiring health stories from business owners who are fulfilling their purpose to live their healthiest lives and helping you do the same. From former TV reporter to marketing entrepreneur and content creator, I care about sharing stories that matter and stories that connect us. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham, your health and wellness matchmaker. Well, today I'm so excited to meet virtually for the first time, Dr. Delvina Thomas. Thanks for being here. Nice to meet you. Absolutely. And pleasure meeting you as well. Thank you for having me on the show. Of course. Thanks for joining me. I I think I followed you on Instagram and saw we have some mutual friends and ended up connecting. I always like to hear, especially now within the context of everything that's going on, the perspective of a physician. I know you're a psychiatrist, so tell us a little bit more about you and what you do. Well, I am the mother of a 24-year-old black male. That's my first job, my primary job. And, um, and everything else is just supplemental. Um, I was an army brat growing up, so I moved around a lot. My father was in the army. Um, he got stationed in Maryland and decided to retire there. So that's pretty much where I grew up. I attended college in Baltimore at an all-girls Catholic college and um, went to medical school in Philadelphia. Um, after I graduated, I completed my residency at the Phil- um, at University of Maryland in Baltimore. At the same time as graduating medical school, I joined the Army. So I've been in the Army Reserve um, since 2003. I've been in 17 years. And when I moved to Miami from Maryland, I was deployed for the first time to Iraq. So I've been on to date. I've been on three deployments, one to Iraq, one to Afghanistan. And my uh, most recent deployment was to Kuwait. Um, when I moved to Miami, I moved here to work for the Federal Bureau of Prisons so that I could pay back a scholarship I had in medical school. And so I worked for the feds in their prison system as their chief psychiatrist for nearly eight years. During the last three years, I was the medical director. And during that time, I started to look at, okay, I'm tired of working for someone else and tired of going to court all the time because inmates sue the feds all the time. And as a medical director, I was kind of the scapegoat. I was going to, to court. Like it just got to be almost every week I was in court. And so I decided to start looking for a way to do something different. And being a black woman in America, I feel we're underpaid. 
Um, we don't get the 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 due that we deserve. We're not paid fairly. We get um, unfair wages. We're not promoted um, when we should be, when we deserve to be. So I decided to open a private practice and I called it, or I call it DRT Behavioral Services. So um, it started as a small practice of just myself, a part, another psychiatrist who was part-time. Eventually after a year, I hired a therapist. Since that time, that was about 2014 or so. Since then, um, I've moved from Miami and created an office in Fort Lauderdale um, that includes two office spaces. One is the medical practice where we do medication management and psychotherapy, as well as sell CBD products. We have our own line of CBD gummies. And we also have a medical spa where we do facials, massages, um, a weight loss program, and Botox and fillers. And, um, and then we have a couple of satellite offices in Miami still. Did you always know that this is what you wanted to do as far as pursuing um, going to medical school, um, becoming a psychiatrist, and then we can talk about Army Reserve as well, like how that, you know, how those, I mean, it seems I haven't heard that's a different path, right? A different type of story. So mm -hmm. was there a point at which you knew like this is the path I wanted to, per I want to pursue? So I've always been um, someone who was into money and budgeting and um, and so and I was always someone who was really good in the sciences, really good in math, and I loved medicine. So I knew from the time I was a little girl that I wanted to be a physician, um, but I did question myself. So in, in college, I had, um, gosh, one of my counselors, she told me I should just be a nurse. Oh, why do you want to be a doctor? Just be a nurse as a white lady, of course. And so I was like, okay, I, I see what time it is. Um, but, you know, I thought about other careers too. I thought about physical therapy and I just felt like it was just too, that would be too boring. Um, there's only so much you can do in physical therapy. Um, and so, and I didn't really go down that path. I stayed on the path of pre-med. And when I got to medical school, I wanted to be an OB-GYN. I wanted to deliver babies. You know, everyone was watching Cosby show, Mr. Yeah. Huxtable. And <laughs> I thought I wanted to be um, in women's health, just help women to live better, help them from the mental and the physical standpoint. And what I didn't know, because I was just, you know, a little black girl who grew up, her dad was in the military. My family was very middle class. There, there are no physicians in my family, just me. Um, and I never lived in a place where there were black physicians. So it's not like I could walk up to someone and say, hey, can you tell me this or whatever? So I used to drive around the neighborhoods, the affluent neighborhoods near where we lived. And I would look at these nice houses and these nice cars. And every so often I would see someone, I would ask them, what do you do for a living? What do you do for your career? So I was always looking, trying to determine how can I help people at the same time live a lifestyle that, that I like. Um, and so I went to medical school and I realized that first semester when you take anatomy, AMP, that I didn't have surgeon stands. Um, you, I believe surgeons, cosmetologists, hairstylists, they are born with hands. They are born with the natural innate ability to do things with their hands. So I started looking for other specialties, one where I knew I could make a good living, I could help people, and I didn't have to work hard and look like I'm 50 when I'm only 30. So, and when I did my, in medical school, you do rotations, you do classes the first two years, and then you jump in, you do rotate clinical rotations. And that's how a lot of people determine what they want to be that and based on your grades and how well you perform. <laughs> so, 
um, during psychiatry, I felt a lot of empathy for the, the patients. I was um, in a hospital and there were a lot of sick, sick patients and my heart just went out to them. And I'm, I was like, okay, this is good. I could do psychiatry. I like talking to people. I knew from a young age that I had an innate ability to really understand a person's story without talking to them. Someone can be in my personal space and I can pretty much put their story, their life story together. Really? And so, yeah. Do you have an example <laughs> of when you've done that? Yeah. So um, last year sometime I was at a restaurant and I was sitting outside and the, the waiter walks up to me and just based on his disposition, how he looked, I said, this guy's not from Florida. It was, it was a white guy. He's not from Florida. He's probably down here. And I bet you he is in a substance abuse program or something like that. And lo and behold, before I left there that night, he told me his story, that his sister moved him down. I don't remember from what state that he was struggling with some drug addiction or whatever. He went to a program, completed the program, and now he lives in South Florida and blah, 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 blah. It may take a year. It may take two years. It could take a couple of years, but eventually they tell me their story and i'm like wow okay so i was i was pretty much in the the ballpark and do you think that's a natural ability to do that or something that you've been able to develop because of what you do i think it's natural i think i was born with that um for a few years i was really heavy into church uh, my family's baptist southern baptist my family's from mississippi but most of them live in chicago now and um, when I was in the fifth grade, I decided to practice the apostolic faith. God gives you gifts. And I believe that I was born already with certain with certain traits, but then that was just something that really, um, it, it just coupled well with what I was born with already, my innate ability to pretty much discern certain things. So discernment after I began attending church, this apostolic church, it just really, um, it went up a whole nother thousand levels, I would say. So it's a combination of being born with it and then also the exposure in the church. Right, so you decide that this is the path for you while going through medical school between classes and rotations. You know that you, you like the mind and connecting with people, learning their stories, helping people. At what point does the army come in and you decide, like? I, how would you even balance <laughs> those two yeah. things? So I didn't want to pay back student loans. I had a scholarship um, to medical school. I was I had a scholarship through the public health service. So they pay for everything. I got a stipend every month, but I'm greedy. I wanted more money. And there was the Iraqi war. You know, we were at war in Iraq. 9-11 happened when I was in medical school and they were short physicians. And um, so this recruiter was talking to me. She's like, hey, you know, you could join the army. You'll get this amount of money. They'll pay back your student loans, this and that, blah, blah, blah. It was already sort of just, you know, um, something I was used to from growing up in the military. And I always knew I would probably somehow deal with the military. And so it just came about that way, just being greedy and wanting to serve my country, patriotism. <laughs> Well, and thank you for your service. Was there any hesitation that you had um, knowing that you would have to deploy? Um, right. So yeah, it was a lot of hesitation. Um, and my the first time when I was in the hangar and we were, we're uh, waiting for the flights because everything's a secret. You can't, they don't even tell us, you know, 
We do all of our training. You do about a week or a week and a half of pre-mob is what it's called. Um, this is in Fort Benning, Georgia. And then you go to a secret spot um, and you're sitting at that spot. Like it could be all day. It could be two day, whatever the case may be, because you can't know when you're leaving. So you're all packed, ready to go. In the hangar, I got scared. I'm like, shit, what if this is like platoon? What is what if this is like um, full metal jacket or whatever? So I'm just thinking of all these scenes I've seen in movies. And I call my dad and I'm like, um, I'm kind of scared now. I'm getting scared. And he's like, no, you'll be fine. You'll be OK. Don't worry about it. So he gave me reassurance. And um, and, you know, from there, it was um, it was OK. I got to to Kuwait first. And from Kuwait, you get pushed out to whatever country you're going to. Um, and when I got to Baghdad, it was hot as hell. And I saw that there were a lot of people over there and they seemed to be having a good time. We were <laughs> on weekends, we had like social events to keep people's spirits up, you know? I would never, ever, I don't regret going to Iraq. That was one of the best experiences I've, I've ever had and Afghanistan. Why do you say that? Because you're the camaraderie, um, you're also helping soldiers who are in dire need like there were people in the army at the time who had history of mental illness but because of the war in iraq we were desperate we had to really um beef up our military we had to allow a lot of people into the military who would not have been allowed in had it not been for 9 11 in the iraqi war so there were guys downrange um in iraq who were on lithium, you know, these are like very heavy, serious type of mood stabilizer um, medication. Um, some of them became suicidal over there. They may have had a history of suicidal ideations. Um, so I felt good about it because I was able to help these soldiers to talk to them. For some of them, it was the first time anyone has ever talked to them. Keep in mind, some, I chose to go into the army because I wanted to, but there are people who go into the military because it's the last resort. That's the only thing they can do to get away from their hometown and get away from drugs because they've, you know, grew up indigent their entire life and they want to send money home or whatever. So um, it was just, it, it was just very satisfying to be able to help people who may not have ever received any type of help in their life ever before. Yeah. Um, did you find that, those you know soldiers you were treating were hesitant to have some of those conversations with you during the first deployment absolutely yes um because there was still a stigma uh, and the stigma in the military used to be a lot greater than the stigma in the general public but now the army has done a great job of normalizing mental health mental health treatment mental wellness they've done an awesome job um of course, people have heard about the statistics of veterans and, um, and active duty soldiers and Army Reserve and National Guard um, members who commit suicide. So that was one of the driving forces that led to the military amping up their approach to encouraging people to seek treatment, um, educating folks on what it looks like to have mental illness or uh, to be in duress. Now, during my subsequent deployments, when I went to Afghanistan, I had officers and higher ranking NCOs who wanted to come in and talk because psychotherapy and treatment had been normalized. When I went to Kuwait, no one cared if the first sergeant was in the waiting room and his PFC from his company came in. It didn't matter. It, it, at, by that point, people appreciated that, hey, you guys absolutely need to be here. We've been in war for how many years? You've been on three and four deployments. You know, may have seen your buddies get blown up. You may have lost a platoon as a leader, 
So this makes sense. Yeah. Uh, around what time do you think things started to change and and shift and you know the army army kind of getting rid of that stigma by the time i went to afghanistan i i'm not active duty so i really don't know you know what was happening between 2008 and 2010 but by the time i went to afghanistan in 2010 it had changed there was the, the army did a 180. Hmm. i think there's been a stigma in general around mental health and um you know i even still talk to friends about you know whether it's going to a therapist or whatever and there's still people who are like well why would you do that you know but i think we're in a much and you tell me if you agree or not but in a much better place now as far as the openness and the conversations around mental health yeah it's again, it's one of those things where it's been normalized um, in mainstream society as well. And I think the normalization came from people like, um, you know, just athletes coming forward and saying they suffer from panic disorder or they suffer from generalized anxiety disorder. Um, so people have been talking about it more and more. Um, Taraji um, has, you know, Henson has created this foundation. Um, in the memory of her father, who was a veteran as well. And so, um, and people, it, people like myself, mental health experts, we're talking about it, you know, we're on social media, um, doing lives and posting things and posting what are the signs if you're depressed or suicidal. And so I, I think definitely is changing the churches are getting involved as well. So it's really getting to the point of people encouraging one another to seek treatment and even when you're not feeling badly, it's okay to go and sit and talk and process something with someone who's totally neutral to right. your circumstances. You know, it was interesting because, you know, coming from the news and then watching the news as all of this happened, we're in stay-at-home orders, quarantine, and all of us are kind of, you know, in those first couple of days, that first week, you know, we're seeing all this and it's like, oh, okay, this will be over in a couple of months. Like, I think we were all going through that processing of like, what's really happening? And then I think maybe once it was like the NH NHL and NBA were like canceling their seasons, we were like, whoa, this is yeah. serious. And then a couple weeks later, all of a sudden you start seeing all of these news reports that are now talking about anxiety, depression, what people are going through at home, the loneliness, feeling disconnected. And I even remember reading an article that said something about we're all going to be experiencing this PTSD, so to speak, mm -hmm. as a result of what's going on, um, like really widespread trauma. What are your thoughts on that? I would concur, um, and especially first-line workers, um, essential workers, healthcare workers, a lot of them have endured just massive episodes of stressors, of trauma. Um, when you hear nurses talk about taking care of a COVID-positive person who's dying and their family can't come and be there with them, and they're holding the phone to the person's ear so they can tell their wife they love her, and then they die moments later. Um, so the first line workers, the healthcare workers, the essential workers, a lot of those folks will probably develop PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, maybe some sort of anxiety. And the scary part about it is that these diseases may not happen right away. 
the requirements of mental health have have changed because of what's happening with COVID. Um, I think people are now being more comfortable. This was probably, I don't want to say a breakthrough, but um, definitely this has helped to encourage folks to seek help, to seek mental health treatment um, because they now don't feel alone. Prior to COVID-19, folks felt like, well, I'm the only one that's having panic attacks. I'm embarrassed to go and talk to someone. I know it's not happening to anyone else. It's only happening to me. But now people know that, okay, the entire world has been affected by COVID-19. So it's okay. People feel comfortable. They don't feel ashamed now. It's kind of opened up the door because everyone's going. It's this collective thing where we're all going through something. There might be we're all affected differently. Maybe it's somebody at home and they realize like, hey, I've been avoiding the fact that my marriage isn't really what it is. And now I'm forced to take a look at that. Or maybe for somebody else, (laughs) maybe for somebody else, it's, you know, losing their job, possibly looking at eviction and not being able to put food on the table and those feelings around that. Um, But especially with those essential workers that you mentioned, is there anything that people can do because you mentioned hey some of this they might not see for time to come is there anything that people can do that's like a preventative measure yeah there's oh man there's a lot of things that as americans we don't do that we should do like the first thing i would say is our diet in america is horrible horrible most folks are not eating healthy um 64 of americans eat processed food 64% of Americans are eating processed foods, 20% of Americans, in addition to that 64% have mainly a meat diet, they're not eating fresh greens and vegetables. And so number one, eat healthier. We can eat for our brains. Um, I call these brain love foods, we should eat at least two servings of salmon every week. Salmon contains omega three fatty acids, omega three fatty acids are um, awesome for our brains It helps to prevent the early onset of dementia and other cognitive disorders. Eating spinach, kale, arugula, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, asparagus, those green foods are brain love foods. Those foods do a lot of good, a lot of positive things for your brain. People have to understand when we make things in the body to help regulate our our moods, to help us to feel better, to help us um, get over a moment of sadness, to prevent anxiety, to cope with stress, we have to make chemicals to do these things. Those chemicals are called neurotransmitters, endorphins. They're things like norepinephrine, serotonin, dopamine. To make those things, we need the food that we eat to provide the building blocks to then make those chemicals. If you're not eating the healthy foods to give you those building blocks, you're only, you know, filling up on cheeseburgers and French fries, you're going to struggle. Your brain will struggle to make those chemicals. And if your brain's struggling to make those chemicals, if you have a moment of sadness for whatever reason, it may take you several seconds more or maybe several days more to come out of that. Whereas if you were eating healthy, it might be something you just pop right out of. So, you know, and drinking water, most Americans don't drink enough mm-hmm. water. You got to drink at least 64 ounces of water every day. And actually, depending on the recommendations you review, maybe more like for me, based on my size, it's recommended I drink nearly 80 ounces of water a day. So basically, you should be chugging water all day long. So if you eat junk, <laughs> you're going to feel like junk. So 
sorry I spent a whole lot of time on diet, but it's important. No, absolutely. And I mean, I totally agree. It's almost been two years since I went plant-based mainly. I still have some fish in my diet, but the thing I did it for health reasons and physical reasons because I was having autoimmune responses and hair falling out, rashes, pain, couldn't walk, joint pain, all that kind of stuff and hadn't had an issue since. But what I Mm. didn't expect was the impacts to my mind because I've always been a very high stress kind of person. And all of a sudden I found I could think so much clearer. I could manage my stress better. And that was not the intent, but it was like, and even now, you know, I'll have my pizza here and there. Like I, you know, I need that my one time a month or whatever. I had my birthday a couple weeks ago and I had a couple days of not eating so good and immediately like I can't focus. I have a hard time thinking clear. And I know like, so I I love that you spent the time on the food because it makes a difference having those vegetables and your kale and your spinach Mm -hmm. and really taking Mm -hmm. in that amount of vegetables does so much for your brain. And it's, it does. it's immediate. It's, it's yeah. really immediate if you feed yourself mm-hmm. well. You can see the differences. Absolutely. And there's something called the brain in the gut, too. And so that we have certain cells and receptors that um, in our gut that are similar to the ones that we have in our brain. And so those cells, there's like serotonin receptors in our in our um, in our colon and in our intestines and in our belly. And just think about it, if you're not eating well and you're eating all this stuff that takes forever to digest and get through your intestines, all that that um, that stuff is just like sludge. It's just hanging out, sticking around in the intestines and your GI tract, it's not going anywhere. And so your body's not gonna work properly. So you gotta think about that brain in the gut and the brain up here. Absolutely. So that's a great tip for people to possibly avoid, you know, further PTSD, anxiety, depression down the line. Is there anything else that you would recommend? Yeah. So nutrition, hydration, exercise, um, taking care of your body physically, exercising on a regular basis, meditation, things like yoga, uh, Tai Chi is an option too, if we're talking about mindfulness, learning how to be more mindful and being in the moment. Oftentimes people don't know how to do that. It's hard for folks, especially people who suffer from anxiety, to just um, focus on being in the moment. So you can learn mindfulness from doing things like yoga, from doing Tai Chi. When you're walking your dog outside, walk the dog, look at the leaves, look at what's going on around you, look how the sky looks, look at the moon. Try not to be on the phone if you don't have to. Use that as a break for yourself when you're out walking your pet. Maybe start seeing a psychotherapist prior to a problem coming on board. Start talking about it now, because if you expose yourself, there is something called exposure therapy. and We use it for folks who have PTSD. It's a very structured therapeutic way of talking to them about their trauma in session and you help their response. So you're you're guiding them through that traumatic experience they had in the past and you're helping to guide the response that they have in your office. And so what happens over time is they become desensitized regarding that trauma and no longer has the same power over them because they've talked about it so many times in a structured session with their therapist. So it feels like everyone I talk to mentions that has mentioned at some point or another feeling anxious, having anxiety. 
um, and especially during this year. Why mm-hmm. do you think so many people, because I, you mentioned earlier about, you know, people with anxiety, not, you know, mindfulness and not living in the moment. Yeah. Why do you think so many people are facing anxiety and dealing with that? We're not in control. We don't know what's happening. We don't have answers. The unknowing is anxiety provoking. The not knowing is anxiety provoking. That's the reason right there. So what can we do if we're those people like me who like to feel in control? Just accept that you're not in control this time and what will be is going to be. It's already written. I like to use this word discipline. Discipline is doing what you know you should do regardless of what's going on around you. It's doing the right thing doing the thing that you know is the best thing in a situation. And so discipline is not allowing yourself to think about the what ifs, what if this, what if that, oh my God, this, it's just being disciplined and cutting it off and telling yourself, no, I will not think about this right now. I have things that make me anxious and I have to take myself through the process to attenuate whatever uneasiness that I might feel. What is that conversation like that you have with yourself when you notice that? (laughs) (laughs) you're good you're good thank you um I say to myself child if you don't get it together come on now you know you you know everything you should know about so if I'm doing a presentation and I'm feeling nervous like I used to get anxious during my last appointment when we had um, briefings for the commander like everyone from their sections would sit down and you listen to everyone brief their section and for some reason I would always get anxious at the very beginning. Like, oh my gosh, I'm getting anxious. So I would sit there and I would inhale very deeply. I would exhale. And the other thing recently that makes me nervous is I'm learning to ride a motorcycle. And that freaking just, oh, it just tests my nerves. So. (laughs) Well, I could understand that, especially on these South Florida streets. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be pretty, try to be as strategic as I can with this, but you know. So you just have to um, talk yourself through sometimes and just breathe through it, learn how to breathe so that it's effective for you and it becomes therapeutic when you're in that moment of, of stressing or having nervousness or anxiety. So in closing, looking ahead to 2021, because it's pretty much here, a lot of unknowns, we can't control it. Any last words of advice or just closing thoughts for for anyone who's listening. Love, L-O-V-E. Stop the hatred. Stop being angry. Stop hating people. Stop holding grudges. You know, if there's a disagreement with you and another person, talk it out, process it, let it go. If they continue to do the same things over and over, limit your interactions with them. That's understandable. But to hate and and, um, embrace hate and that emotion of hatred and anger, it's just so unhealthy for you. It's so easier to just love. And I'm not saying everyone deserves your love. However, your position, your disposition towards the situation should always be about love and not hatred. Because if there's anything that this year has taught us is that life is short. (sighs) Absolutely, man. So tell everyone how they can find you, connect with you, learn more about you and your podcast. Dr. Delvina, D-R-D-E-L-V-E-N-A. It's on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. Um, I'm on YouTube also. You can watch some of my older videos about stuff. 
Dr. Delvina Thomas on YouTube. And I have a new podcast as of May. It's called The Brain Love Podcast. That's four words, quattro. Mm -hmm. The Brain Love Podcast is on most of the podcast platforms. Um, And don't be surprised at what you could hear because I talk about everything regarding the brain, including relationships, sex, anxiety, depression, just whatever. My next episode is going to be on voodoo. Awesome. Okay, so yeah. we'll be sure to link to all of that below in the show notes <laughs> so that gotcha. we, everyone can find you, connect with you, and check out your next podcast episodes. Thank, Thank you so you. much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I learned so much great information and so much about Dr. Thomas. She has a really inspiring story, so make sure you go below in the show notes and find her information, connect with her on social, check out her podcast. I know I will. And until next time, stay connected with me. I'd love to stay connected with you. Again, that's subscribing on YouTube. Turn the notifications bell on. Connect with me on LinkedIn, and then I'll see you back next week in 2020, right? Oh, I mean 2021. (laughs) It always takes some time for us to get used to that and saying a new year, but I know we're all looking forward to it. So until then, stay happy, stay healthy, and happy new year.